From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. I am grateful to be sharing the word of God with you this morning, which is already something of a special day for me personally. Not only is it my wife and my uh, wedding anniversary, it is also, uh, it marks two months with our new son, Callum. And so that uh, makes six years of marriage, a three-year-old son and a two-month-old son, which if you add it all up, makes for uh, a deep breath. It makes for... <laughs> an exhausting and exceedingly joyful season of life at the 9 a.m. service. Uh, Kate Owens asked me when I told him we uh, just had another son, she said, well, are you all exhausted or are you doing okay? And I said, yeah. Yeah, all at once. I must say, there have been many nights in the past weeks where I find myself counting down the minutes until that moment when everyone is in bed and asleep, and quiet, and I can finally just clean the kitchen. <laughs> if that is not what you expected, you and me both. Do not misunderstand me. It isn't that Caitlin doesn't or won't clean the kitchen. It is that I insist on cleaning the kitchen. Uh, as bedtime approaches, I walk past that sink full of stacked dishes and think, don't you go anywhere. I'll be back. Again, don't misunderstand me. This is not some praiseworthy quality in my character. This is a freak effect of stress of which I am trying to make the best. Um, at its most noble, it is me wanting to feel that I am doing tangible things to care for my family. But more honestly, on the other end, uh, it's also me doing something to seek control in the midst of change. Uh, this is the kind of work and we encounter in Luke's gospel this morning. Uh, reading again from chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. That already takes us halfway through the story. It's a short story, but if we spend a moment inside of it here, we can feel the very human tension building. Martha is already on edge, having overstepped social boundaries and invited a man into her home. She believes she's doing the right thing, extending hospitality to this rabbi, but as she works away, she has a constant awareness of the possible appearances and consequences. What will people say? 
As long as she stays busy with hosting and doesn't act too familiar, maybe it won't cause any kind of stir. But now, here comes Mary, taking it a step further. Martha, already nervous about having this rabbi in her home, looks into the other room and sees Mary actually sitting at his feet, presumptuous enough to take the posture of an apprentice. The Mishnah, the teachings of the rabbis, clearly says, let thy house be a house of meeting for the sages and sit in the very dust of their feet and drink in their words with thirst. But it then almost immediately says, engage not in too much conversation with women. While Martha is at least staying in her first century socially acceptable space, Mary has planted herself in the place of men pushing up against patriarchy, and Jesus says nothing. So, as Martha is pulled away to her many preoccupations, these preparations, she starts shutting cabinets a little more loudly, setting down dishes a little harder. She's muttering under her breath and even sighing rather loudly. Uh, whenever she passes the doorway into the other room, her attention is bent on waiting to share a withering glare with her sister. But no matter what she does, no matter how hard she slams the cabinets, Mary will not turn her head. Who does she think she is? Martha's resentment builds and builds until it bursts, and she storms into the next room and oversteps these social boundaries even further, calling on her guest to intervene in a domestic dispute. So Martha came to Jesus and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. She's too upset to even bring herself to speak directly to her sister or to call her by name. Instead, she leans on the safety of a third party. And she uses Jesus somewhat uh, passive-aggressively to prove that she is right by getting him on her side. A brief side note in case we miss some of the possible implications here. I wonder how often our quotations of Scripture our prayers for other people, our social media posts, our life advice, our thinly veiled tools for showing how right we are, how wrong others are. We do enjoy hearing a sermon that calls out something we think someone else is guilty of. And although Martha won't even say her sister's name, Jesus repeats hers twice. Martha Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. This repetition carries both conviction and comfort. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. These two adjectives that Jesus uses are actually different from the one that Luke first uses for distracted. The one that Luke uses literally means pulled away. And the word that Jesus used for worry is actually the same that he uses two chapters earlier when talking about a seed planted but then choked 
by thorns, a metaphor for a heart too entangled to hear the Word of God through the worries of the world. And then the second adjective that Jesus uses, also translated distracted here, is more often used to describe a riot or a commotion. In all of this, Jesus names not only Martha's busy distractedness, distracted busyness, but her divisive bitterness. You are anxious, Jesus says, and you have put yourself in an uproar. I wonder what are the many things pulling you away today, preventing you from being present. When you're going about your daily work, what does the commotion in your head sound like? What may be causing you to be distracted, anxious, even resentful? Maybe you are genuinely proud of the work that you do, the person you are, but also bothers you that no one else seems to give you quite the treatment you feel you deserve. Maybe it's the opposite, and you're just never convinced that who you are or what you do is good enough, never quite what you should be. Maybe someone hurt you, and although you tell yourself that they don't matter, whenever their name comes up, you still get irritated and find yourself giving them a proverbial piece of your mind. Maybe you lie awake wondering what bad thing is going to happen next. Maybe you focus so often on who your children might become that you miss who they are right now. Maybe you want so badly to be heard that you spend conversations waiting for your turn to speak. Maybe you pull out your phone all day without even thinking to check your many emails, your social media, your bank account, as if you're going to miss something. And maybe you pull out that phone so often that eye contact is becoming more uncomfortable. Maybe you love that feeling of knowing that you helped somebody, that you made something happen. You keep nights and weekends busy volunteering because if you're not there, how is it all going to get done? Maybe you sit down to pray, and before you know it, your mind has wandered elsewhere. Maybe the bills keep coming, and you just don't know how you're going to make it work anymore. Maybe you're just bored. You keep moving on to the next thing, hoping that this new job, this new hobby, this new show, this new relationship will be and do what the last one wasn't and didn't. Maybe you want to provide the best future for your family, and so you work, and you work such long hours for such long months that when you are finally home, you can't sit still and struggle to feel like you really know your family. You feel more at home when you are at work, and it feels like work to be at home. Maybe you feel like life is short, and you don't want to miss out. And so even your times for rest are filled with travel, entertainment, and sightseeing. Vacations are marathons that leave you exhausted at your first day back at work. This might seem like a long and tedious list, but it is the very nature of worry to drag us into many things. It even attaches itself to good ends, 
Martha, for instance, has opened her home to receive and serve Jesus. And the writer states it as a fact that there was simply a lot to do. But Jesus continues, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Even in the midst of her commendable work, Martha is pulled away from Christ by her pious preoccupations. Please don't hear these words or that list as condemning. This story is not trapped in the categories of who is right and who is wrong. Jesus speaks of what is better, what is enduring, what we do not have to fear losing. He does not want us to settle for the lesser parts of life. No matter how delicious and elaborate the meal, he says, no matter how gorgeous the table settings, no matter how high the profit, no matter how fun the experience, no matter how tireless and devoted the work, no matter how seemingly selfless the sacrifice, there is need of only one thing to be with Christ. If we follow Luke backwards a bit, we find that this story is actually the second part of a pair that play off each other. The other is the very well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. You likely know it, but let me refresh your memory. A man comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And wanting to justify himself, the text says, the man asks, who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells a story. A man is going on a journey and is beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. Along comes a priest, the perfect candidate to offer him assistance, but he passes by on the other side. And here comes a Levite who also passes by on the other side. Then a Samaritan comes near to the hurting man and sees him. In compassion, he tends to his wounds. He takes him to a nearby inn where he ensures he will be cared for. And when Jesus asks in this story, who was the neighbor, the answer is obvious the one who showed mercy. Jesus responds, go and do likewise. So clearly Jesus is not an advocate for sitting on our hands and neglecting good work that needs to be done. But lest we hear this parable and get a little too excitable about all this going and doing, Luke immediately leads us down the road away and slows us down. Martha shows what looks like the Samaritan's willingness to serve, but it is Mary who emerges with the better part. In his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, Fred Craddock points out that one story instructs us to go and do, and the other to sit and listen. So if they work as a pair, how do we hold them together? I think the key might be in how they begin. When asked how to inherit eternal life, Jesus shares the summary of God's way for humanity. Love God, love 
neighbor. Do this and you will live, he says. And so both stories envision what this life of love looks like. And something holds them together. In the parable, the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side. Only the Samaritan came near. Mary stayed close to Christ while Martha was distracted and distant. Though the stories seem to end with opposite instructions, both teach that the first responsibility of Christian love is presence and attention. The Samaritan teaches us to see. Mary teaches us to hear. Even our going and doing must begin here by being present and attentive to God and to one another. When we are preoccupied with ourselves, our schedules, our opinions, we fail to notice the presence of God or the person in need. And even if we notice and we try to help, we might help without being present. And so these stories call us out of our preoccupations. And if we return to the question that sets these stories in motion to begin with, this is how we actually begin to inherit eternal life. Now, a life that will not be taken away from us. It has been said that our doing for God must be rooted in our being with God. And the same is true for one another. Taken together, these stories make it difficult to distinguish between our hospitality and love toward God and that toward our neighbor. And maybe that's precisely the point. A New Testament scholar Luke Timothy Johnson comments on the Mary and Martha story, saying that the other who comes into our space is a messenger of grace. Especially as we gather this morning and every Sunday morning, to imitate Mary by sitting and listening to the Word of God, how are we mindful of the neighbors in our midst, whether known or new? As we go about our familiar business in this familiar space, how are we present and attentive to one another, and especially our guests? I'm sure most of you may have a story ready of a time when you felt Served, but unseen. It is one thing to welcome, it is another to sit and listen. This is more than some sentimental advice to live in the moment. Because the Samaritan and Mary mimic the very movement of God's own incarnation. Daring to draw near, to be with the Son of God indeed came to serve, to seek, to save. But in order to do so, he first became Emmanuel, God with us. So whether we go and do or sit and listen, we do so because we have already received the one thing we need, God himself in Jesus in his spirit, in his word, and in our neighbor. 
We therefore begin with presence and attentiveness to one another, which will root our actions in compassion rather than compulsion. We go and do freely rather than fearfully because the true rest and the reward which we think we are working toward is actually already with us. So when we are drawn away and dragged around by all our activity, all our anxiety, all our ambition, our fear of loss, our need for love, simply to be with God and to be with one another, that is the better part, and it will not be taken away from you.